This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait. Belief started in the fourth grade. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude. And I had this nagging feeling. A great belief system. I was capable of so much more. An action every single day. In all the pursuits that we have in our lives, I think there's an element of suffering. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision. Never give up on yourself. That's when greatness happens. The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, co-founder and CEO of Visionary Wealth Advisors and the host of Circuit of Success. I'm sitting here today, Howard Richards. How you doing? Thank you, Brett. Good to be here with you. Well, it's good to see you. It's good to be seen. It's, it's good. That's right. That's right. Well, we're going to talk about viewed. a lot of stuff, man. You've got a great story and uh, just really looking forward to our listeners getting to hear your story. It's a, it's a unique story. Um, that's what everyone tells me. Uh, <laughs> I think most people find it a little more interesting than I do, maybe because I lived it. Right. Um, and, I, and I have done some pretty cool things in yeah. the past, you know, but uh, I, I'm always kind of looking towards the future yeah. and still trying to make an impact, even at, you know, almost 60 years old. Um, I think there's more to do. Yeah. So uh, I try not to look too far in the rearview mirror, but um, uh, it, it's exciting. And I know people like to hear about it. So uh, let's let's that's what let's we're check. here to do. Yeah. So before we dive into all the, the unique and fun stuff you did, you're born and raised in St. Louis. You uh, played football at Mizzou. Um, you were the captain. You played in the Senior Bowl, the Hula Bowl. You were drafted. You were I, I saw last night the first round. You were the first round draft pick for the Dallas Cowboys, which right. you happen to have the shirt on today. So still representing the Cowboys. Yeah, and, which that's pretty neat. Third time in the history of Cowboys, they uh, they uh, drafted a offensive lineman, which was pretty cool. Your draft class was Ronnie Lott, Lawrence Taylor, Howie Long, you. Yeah. Uh, so awesome stuff. But what has made you the man you are today? So if we can look in that rearview mirror, let's talk about what's made you the man you are today. You know, I think I grew up in a competitive environment. Um, I'd say I grew up in the greater Ville of St. Louis, Missouri, right near Sumner High School and, mm-hmm. and uh, City Hospital, number two, Homer Phillips Hospital. Well, if you look at those areas right now, it is pretty downtrodden, yeah. um, but it has a lot of historical value. The church that I went to um, is a, it's on the historical register. It's over 150 years old, Antioch wow. Baptist Church. Uh, so there, there was a lot of history and a lot of meaning in that community. It means a lot to me, even though I don't live there anymore. I lived there for my first 11 years, um, but had a lot of great people surrounding me, family members, neighbors. Uh, that whole concept of it takes a village to raise kids um, is was very much a part of uh, yeah. my fabric. Parents divorced at, uh, at an early age. I was maybe three or four, you know, but always had, uh, you know, strong adults around me that, that helped me. So I didn't really think so much about not having a father present. It was just kind of what I knew. Yeah. Um, but education was always important. Um, reading was important. My mother was a librarian hmm. for 15 years. So on the weekends, I would be uh, at work with her, um, visiting many of the libraries across the, the city of St. Louis where where she worked. Um, the, the most fun place was, of course, the, the Central Library downtown. 
And uh, just just a massive, at the time, I thought it was massive. It's still pretty big. <laughs> right. But just to, you know, walk through the stacks and the smell of books. Uh, and that place has been renovated, and it's beautiful. Uh, to, so, I, so I think back and, and look at my life there and, and, and think that, uh, you know, it's pretty blessed. But it was a foundation for yeah. me. Um, Would you say it's a defining moment? Because, I mean, uh, this is a... An assumption, but I mean, were all the kids reading like where you grew up? And I mean, was that normal or was that not normal? You know, I'm not sure, but I can tell you that um, I was in a gifted program through St. Louis Public Schools when they still had money or some <laughs> money anyway. Right. Uh, so uh, the kids that I was in school with from the fifth grade on um, read a lot, yep. um, a lot of high achievers. And so even being competitive from a, from a sports standpoint, we we're competitive in the classroom. Um, I, I hated to miss school. I did, there were several years where I never missed a day of, of class. Wow. Um, and, and always wanted to, to do well in school and, and be a, a high achiever. Um, so that was really what, what drove me. You know, I didn't even, you don't even think about these things as you're going through it. But right. uh, I just didn't want to disappoint myself, didn't want to disappoint disappoint my mother and my family either so those that's what drove me i'm a big advocate of reading today but you wouldn't find me in fifth grade reading a bunch of books or decided (laughs) to go to the library on the weekend or no and 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 listen i rebelled for a while yeah after uh i think after high school uh, or really after college you know you read so many textbooks and i didn't read a lot for uh just pure entertainment uh, until probably later on as an adult. And then I just started reading uh, a lot. I'd like to get to that point where I can read more. I mean, yeah. there's so many. I, I read, you know, periodicals, of course, you know, newspapers yeah. and, and, and articles uh, from all kinds of stuff, uh, whether it's medical journals, uh, you name it. I, yeah. I'm always trying to seek knowledge and, and be more informed, um, especially in the, in the St. Louis community. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to me, reading is a ticket. Yep. You know, I'm, a, I'm a, like I said, huge advocate of it. If I could help with one thing, I've, I've made this a habit. And now you, I read, you know, probably around 20 to 25 books a year of business mindset mm-hmm. growth books, 10 pages a day. First thing in the morning, 10 pages a day. That's it. You do that consistently every day. It's amazing what happens. And that's a great goal. Uh, maybe I'll have to steal that, <laughs> that <laughs> steal practice. Because you know, right. I think like anything you want to do, you, yeah. you've got to carve out time to do the things you want to do. That's right. Whether it's working out. Um, I'm trying to sort of readjust my life again so I can get back to working out early in the morning, getting it in, getting it out of the way, yeah. and not letting the rest of the day dictate, you know, how I can get my own personal stuff right. uh, um, done, accomplished. It's hard to schedule, isn't it? No doubt. So you uh, obviously were a standout football player. You played at Mizzou. Um, I always like to ask the question to athletes that made it to the, the pinnacle. You made it to the NFL. You played with the Dallas Cowboys, the Seattle Seahawks. You, at what point did you know you were different, and what do you think you did differently? There was, um, I think the thing that really showed me that I could probably play in this league or in the National Football League was one day after practice, like spring practice, I was walking to the old Hearns, well, it's not the old Hearns building, um, but it's where Mizzou used to play basketball uh, back in the 70s and 80s. I was walking into the field house portion, and um, as I was opening, reaching to open the door, there was a gentleman walking out of the door, and we almost bumped into each other. 
and you know, I excused myself. He excused himself, and he goes, "Hey, you're you're uh, that Richards kid?" Because I still had on um, uh, football pads, and I said, "Yes, sir." And I don't remember who he was. Right. He goes, "You're you're going to be a senior, right?" I said, uh, "No, I'm, I'm a sophomore now. I'll be a junior <laughs> in, in the fall." He goes, "Really?" He goes, "Wow, y- you've got a a good future ahead of you in pro football if that's what you want to do." Hmm. So at that moment, it, it really kind of defined, you know, or, or sort of inspired me to keep going. Yeah. Uh, here, this guy, he, he's, a, he's a scout for some team, and he thinks from what he's seen of me that I have a future. So now I've got two more years that I can continue to improve and get better to, to get to that point uh, where I want to be. It was, it was not necessarily a goal of mine. I wanted to play pro baseball. And I played baseball maybe five years before I ever played football. Um, but once I put on the pads, football became a um, it, almost like a natural for me. Uh, I was better at it than baseball. Wanted to be a pitcher. Wasn't a, a good enough pitcher and a consistent enough um, pitcher. Couldn't throw that curveball. <laughs> so I didn't have enough in the toolkit. Yeah. Although I did throw a – I was throwing a no-hitter in high school, my freshman team, and got pulled from oh. my, by my coach. And to this day, there's guys on the team that are shocked that I got pulled. Right. Um, yeah, and it, it discouraged me. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, that was the only year that I played in high school. Uh, mm. So it was mostly football and basketball. But going back to football, I, that's, that's when I kind of thought that I, I really had a chance. Now, my uncle, through marriage, uh, Ernie McMillan, who played for the Big Red, uh, was, a, was an all-pro and, and pro bowler for the Cardinals. Uh, was the true inspiration because I wanted to be like him. He was married to my father's oldest sister. Okay. And um, but you got to he, see him and grew up watching yeah, the guy. Absolutely. And, like man, somebody I know from Thanksgiving dinner is playing football. Absolutely. And you know, I was I was proud to tout that you know I was related to him. Yeah. And um, ironically, when uh, after my eligibility at Mizzou concluded, he was coaching at Green Bay. And on my, what we know as pro days now, he came and worked me out. So I thought yeah. it was really cool right. to, to have the guy that uh, uh, that I truly watched and wanted to be like was now working me out with the possibility of maybe the, the Packers drafting me. Uh, so kind of full circle there. Yeah. So you uh, you go to the Cowboys, you, you have a good career there, and you play with the, the Tony Dorsets of the world. I mean, so what is it like to watch a guy like that? You're blocking for this guy. I mean, you know, arguably one of the I don't know, top five, top ten running back ever maybe? Yeah, I think in, and at the time was, was considered probably the you know best. top three right. in, the, in the league. And obviously now he's a Hall of Famer. And yeah. um, What do you learn from that guy? I, it, first of all, Tony's not a big – physically imposing guy although you know when you see him uh he, he's he was very muscular and, and very well built very, very well built for a small guy but uh I, I think the thing about him that was unique is that he was driven um he was a great teammate great in the locker room uh not a overly vocal person um but listen he worked hard in practice um I know there's people have certain images of, of how certain players are, but man, I mean, he was, he was solid and, you know, he had great vision, you know, great moves on the football field, a, a good burst really fast, but really good quickness. It was hard for defenders to really get a good lick on him. Yep. 
I can remember several times watching him. Just when you see a guy that looks like he's going, he's going to just really destroy Tony. He put that spin move on you, and guys would be whiffing. I mean, just just almost poetry in motion to right. to view him as a runner. Uh, but it made it easy because you didn't have to always have a perfect block. All you had to do was give him a little crease, and he'd explode through the hole and and and, and run for a bunch of yards. Um, Makes your job a little easier. It, it does. It, right. it, it it absolutely does. I blocked for a guy in college, James Wilder, who had a good NFL career with uh, yeah. the the Buccaneers and uh, uh, the Redskins. Different type of runner. James was more of a power back, but again, you didn't have to be perfect. All he wanted was a little bit of daylight, and uh, he'd do the rest. Amazing. Uh, but yeah, good guys, great players. I played with a lot of great players at the Cowboys. Um, and in practice, you know, I, I went against Randy White uh, every day. So he, listen, he he made me uh, become a better player, right? Because he never took t- took days off from practice. I mean, he was full bore. So yep. you sort of play the way you practice, and you've heard that, but that's that's really true. So well, it's very true. I mean, I was uh, I had the the privilege of sitting down with Ozzy Smith on this show, and he mm-hmm. was talking about some of his teammates even got mad because he would just nonstop. <laughs> go out and take ground balls. They're like, what are you doing? I mean, you're the, the wizard, right? You yeah. don't need to do this. He's like, no, no, no. I do this. That's what makes me the wizard, right? And I think kind of what you're saying there is the people that put in the work, whether you're in the boardroom or you're on the basketball court or the football field, you got to put in the work. It's true. It's very true. You, In order to simulate Sundays, you've got to do it during the week. Yep. And if you're only going half speed, once you step on the field on Sunday, it's it's at a different level. Right. Uh, and to me, it, it didn't take long to understand that um, this is no longer college football. Yeah. This and that jump from high school to college at a big level, but then that college to NFL has got to be just – I mean, the, the curve has got to be massive. Very true. And you figure the guys that are – uh, this is the analogy that I use. In high school, you've got you know maybe three, four, five guys that are among the best players on our team. Yep. You go to a D1 program, and you know maybe a third to half the guys were among the the elite players on their team in high school. Yep. You get to the NFL, every player Everybody. was like the best player, top two, three players on their team. Everyone's good. There's really a I think a fine line between winning and losing in this league. Yep. Uh, but you, you learn what it takes uh, from a preparation standpoint, and you learn how to execute, and you've got to be consistent. And it, it truly is a mental game. You've got to overcome, you know, all of the physical part of it. But you know, you, you win with your mind in this yeah. league, and yeah. uh, that's the one everybody there is big, right? I mean, oh, you're obviously, uh, yeah. you're, you're still a big guy today, but everybody's big. But it is all. Right there, that's going to make it different. Yeah, and that's that's what I learned from from uh, Coach Landry, Tom yeah. Landry, who was Legend. one of the best to to ever do it, uh, and and from a different era. But listen, he he excelled because uh, the time that he put into it, and he he made sure that uh, as a player, you've got to understand not just the position you play. But you got to know what the guys next to you and the guys behind you and what the receivers are doing also. If you have that concept, uh, then you'll understand, you know, what it takes to 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 win on every play, because a football game is comprised of of plays. You get four seconds uh, on every offensive uh, uh, snap to get it done. And we used to have in our playbook there's a Latin phrase called sine qua non which translated means without which there is nothing. So every play in the playbook had one. 
and you had to at least do those things in that sine qua non in order for this play to work. Wow. Which meant you needed to know what Danny White at quarterback was doing. You needed to know if 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 Tony's running a a counter play, you know, he's going to jab step and and then take off and, and and head in a particular direction, you know, what his angle is. So you knew that if you're pulling on that counter, yep. you couldn't belly back too deep because you'd knock him off his course. You right. got to go flat. I mean, just the little things. Yeah. And the coaching points are, are what uh, enable you to win on Sundays. It's those, those fine details, right? That's right. But executed, done, done correctly. That's what makes a championship team. Absolutely. Yeah. So you yeah. can see it's no accident that the teams that win on a consistent basis that they win. It's, you know, there's a little bit of luck involved, but listen, they're working at it. And that's why you look at it, today's NFL. Hate him or not, Bill right. Belichick is, is the best at what he does yeah. because of those details. This is Brett Gilliland with Circuit of Success. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Circuit of Success. I'm Brett Gilliland, your host. Let's dive back into this week's guest. So, best time in the NFL. We're going to dive into your next career, which I'm, I can't, that's going to be just as exciting <laughs> to talk about. But, um, best time in the NFL. What's that one memory that sticks out for you? It says, gosh, I cannot, I can't believe that even happened. What was it? Even though they were losing moments, uh, to be able to play in two back to back NFC championships. To be one game away from playing in a Super Bowl, which which is you know the ultimate in, in probably all of sports, right. um, and we fell short. And, and let me tell you, uh, after the first year losing to the 49ers in the game known as the game with the catch with oh, Dwight Clark, yeah. Joe Montana, to be a part of that, man, it was hard and hard to swallow. But the the thing was, guy, okay, we've got a great team. We'll be back next year. Sure enough, we got to that point. Even though it was a strike short in the year 1982, we were playing the Redskins in the championship, and uh, you know, really felt good about the day that we could yeah. go to Washington and and win. And of course, you know, we have some breakdowns, and uh, quarterback gets knocked out and ends up losing to the Redskins. But you know, at that moment, I knew what it take took to get to that point, and now thinking, wow, you know, we worked so hard to return to this level, only to lose again. Do we have the types of players that, you know, are, are willing to, you know, both physically and mentally to work hard again right. and get back to that point again? Um, and you just don't know. But you, you've just got to keep working. So to get to that point, even though you didn't didn't win, you know you're on the verge of it. You're working with a lot of special players. That was pretty cool. So and then so we lose in the championship game. Redskins go to Super Bowl win. The following Monday, the opening uh, of the 83 season against uh, the Redskins Monday Night Football, hmm. we're playing them again. And Washington, you know, it's about 95 degrees on Monday Night Football. And, you know, we're laying an egg in the first half. We're down 23 to 3. You know, no one gives us a chance to come back and, and win this football game. But, you know, ultimately we do. Hmm. Uh, we win the game 31-30 up there. And I remember it was – I think we all felt we had a taste of that in the championship game. You know, they we we felt that we gave the Redskins that opportunity yeah. to get to the Super Bowl, and we didn't want that. We, it was like a wake-up call. Yeah. You go into halftime, you make a few changes, come out, play harder, and walk away with the win. So we thought, okay, now we've we've we can do this. Right. We got 15 more to go. Let's let's roll. 
we, we reel off seven straight victories uh, in the 83 season. Um, then get some guys hurt and uh, uh, just didn't, didn't quite finish. We ended up playing a wild card, losing to the Rams. But, again, that thought of, of how we worked so hard, you know, we had it within our reach and, and just didn't get it done. Uh, and, and to me, that's, that's the curse of playing yep. uh, the NFL football. Now, a lot of guys never get to that point. Uh, right. But so I feel very fortunate, even though I, I didn't walk away with a ring, um, to have a played the game, b to have doubled the the career length, um, and to you know just be able to look back and, and thought what a great opportunity yep. that uh, you know it's a goal that even though I wanted to be a pro baseball player <laughs> later, okay. really I turned it turned out okay because <laughs> I because I'd okay. wanted to play in this in this uh, in this league and, and be good and. Yeah, so I was able to do that. Yep. I you know, had some bumps along the way. Didn't you know? I, I had a lot of injuries that really prevented me from going further. But overall, I'm I'm pretty happy with what I was able to accomplish. You holding up well today? Um, I, I've got a few <laughs> little bumps. I've got some issues. Still, huh? yeah, yeah. I, yeah, you know, I have the the body of probably an eighty or ninety year old, yeah. uh, and I'm reminded of that every morning yeah. I get up. How's the mind? Um, you know, it, it's. I don't remember as much. It's a struggle sometimes to yeah. remember. I have to detail more and more. Uh, you know, your mind has so much capacity. Yep. You got to get rid of all the the the, the white matter uh, and write down the important things. So that's yep. what I try to do. Yep. Good, good. So here's my question: How does a guy go from the NFL <laughs> to the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency? I just, I was, I'm fascinated by that. How's it happen? It goes back to reading. <laughs> you get, I was reading the newspaper on a uh, on a Sunday morning in, in March of 1989. So you're retired. Yep. Uh, Sitting around For full disclosure, you know, I didn't finish my degree in four years at Mizzou. Yep. Uh, I had started as an engineering student, switched majors. So by the time my, my four years of eligibility were up, I had enough numerical hours to graduate, but not in my area of concentration. Got it. So I couldn't graduate. Um, so it, it was tough to navigate trying to go back to Columbia to get my degree during the offseason because Coach Landry wanted us all there in the offseason. So I, I pushed it back. I was eventually going to finish at, a, at a North Texas State, which is now the University of North Texas. I enrolled there immediately after uh, retiring after the 87 season. Halfway through the semester, I um, met with an advisor who says, you know, unfortunately, you're going to have to repeat 45 hours that you took at Mizzou Ooh. because we don't accept those hours. I said, wait a minute, you, you mean to tell me you won't accept? Um, like math is math. <laughs> yeah, credits from yeah. the oldest accredited public institution west of the Mississippi? And he goes, No. And I said, well, uh, I guess I will not be graduating from here. So called an advisor who I'd worked with back in the, in the late 70s, told him the story. I said, what do I need to graduate? He says, give me a day or two. Call me the next day and said, you need this. You can do it in a summer and uh, the fall semester and graduate in December. So I told him, I'll see you in Damn. June. And that's what I did. After, after graduating, uh, went back to Dallas. And one Sunday morning, literally reading, because I read the newspapers as a child, reading the, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and the Globe Democrat, virtually cover to cover. Uh, so I was reading the paper and opened it up one Sunday, and there was a full, uh, full ad, full page ad for the CIA. Now, I didn't have any inkling uh, that I would ever work for the federal government or c civil service in any yeah. way, but 
I was trying to get a job, and uh, I wanted to ultimately majored in, in uh, broadcast communications. I wanted a job as a sportscaster. Right. Um, but prior to the time of, of reading this ad, you know, I'd been sending out uh, audition tapes and resumes and uh, was really not getting the type of response that I wanted to. So it was very humbling. Mm-hmm. You think that, you know, you've, you've, you've done all these great things and um, that people will kind of look at that and think, oh, we got to get this guy in here. Didn't happen. So it was very humbling. Yep. Uh, but anyway, going back to that ad, at the bottom of the ad, they had all the areas of employment where they were looking for people. So I saw communications. I figured that's maybe that's my ticket. Right. And then I thought, you know, by sending out those resumes and tapes that maybe some employers weren't taking me seriously. You know, I, I felt that maybe I was being stereotyped. So I thought, hey, I could go to work for the agency, get some meat on my resume, stay for a couple of years, and then try it all over again. I had also uh, interviewed with Anheuser-Busch in their marketing department, and I was urged to go and get a master's degree at Ohio University. So I took the GRE, uh, did well enough on that, uh, applied, and got accepted into this program, this sports marketing and administration program there. And um, they only took 25 students a year. So I felt pretty good about getting into that. I got my same my my offer of employment the same time I got accepted at Ohio U. Uh, so I figured uh, that I would uh, go to work yep. instead. I could always go back to school. I'd go to the agency and work for two or three years, and then go back to get that master's. Yep. Never happened. Uh, stayed for thirteen years and uh, loved pretty much every second yeah. of it. So, I mean, those, those are the type of movies I could watch all day long, right? And that's the, probably the life you lived. And there's probably a lot of things you can't talk about. But uh, t- talk to us about that. I mean, what's that like? I mean, you were in the CIA. I know you were, you were protecting the, the world, really, but also had some pretty big people you were watching after. And so walk us through that. What was that like? I mean, what was some cool stories you could share? Well, I, I, uh, my first assignment was, and I'll say this, you know, there, there are a number of tracks, if you will, professional tracks. So I ended up going in um, as a security officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my first assignment was as a background investigator, you know, working on uh, uh, doing investigations on the people that worked yeah. on, on defense contracts. And uh, I did that in Los Angeles. I went to L.A. because no one else wanted to go there. With being with the Cowboys, our training camp was in Thousand Oaks. Oh, so yeah. L.A. So was like a second right? home yeah. for me. I'm like, Beach, sand, uh, sign me up. I'm in. So th- that's where I went. There was then a visit by uh, the director at the time, William Webster, Judge William Webster, who had also been the director of FBI, uh, to Los Angeles. And the, the, the chief of the security staff had heard about me and essentially wanted to talk to me when he um, flew out to L.A., so we chatted, and he goes, hey, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of good things about you. You think this, you know, being on the protective staff is something that you might want to do? He goes, you, you physically, you're, you're kind of imposing. Right. You, you kind of break the mold, if you will, but I, I think you would be a good fit. And I said, I never really thought about it, but um, the more I talked to some of my colleagues in the field office, they said, this is what everyone wants to do. You get to travel the world get to carry a gun, you get this great training. <laughs> right. uh, so I said, yeah, why not? Um, that was like in the summer of, of, of uh, 
90, summer of 1991 or so. Okay. Um, and a few months later, I was on my way back to Washington, D.C. Wow. Joined the detail at the time, um, Robert Gates okay, yeah. was CIA director. Um, and, you know, he later went on and became the president at Texas A&M and then uh, became secretary of defense. Yeah. Uh, after Gates left, um, when um, George Bush didn't win re-election, Bill Clinton came in and, and hired um, uh, or nominated um, Jim Woolsey to be CI director. Uh, so I worked for Jim Woolsey as director, then John Deutsch after him, and then oh, yeah. George Tenet. And uh, a lot of, uh, you know, the, the deputy directors that I worked, you know, are, um, um, Richard Kerr, um, uh, William Studeman, um, uh, and uh, a number of others. Yeah. It's hard to recall all right, the names. Right, right, right. But um, the, one of the more recent uh, directors of CIA that you see a lot on TV now, John Brennan, okay, yeah. was George Tenet's chief of staff. Okay. Uh, so got to know a lot of the players uh, that people see now, mostly as, as, as paid commenta- commentators on TV now. Yeah. I've worked with many of them in some capacity. Good, good connections to have. Great connections to have. You ever get any some uh, dicey situations that you in can fact, talk about? In fact, I will, I will tell you that um, there was a situation, there, uh, several. Yeah. Here's one that I, could, that I, can, I can share. Uh, I was actually living in Tel Aviv. I was the oh, wow. area security officer. This was after my years on the detail. And uh, we were, it was a visit by the director in, uh, to, to Gaza to visit um, Yasser Arafat. <laughs> and, um, you know, there were, this was like in the middle of peace talks, of course. And I don't, Recall the incident that uh, well I do I can't discuss it as, as, to, as to why things we want this to go live right. <laughs> as to to why we were asked to leave immediately but uh, uh, we were initially going to leave there head to the airport and go to uh, uh, Amman Jordan and um, so we got the word that we needed to leave immediately. And uh, so we did. We were out of there within 10 minutes, headed back to uh, the airport in Tel Aviv. Within uh, probably 15 minutes, there was a missile strike on the intelligence headquarters in Gaza. Wow. And, and within a couple of minutes, I got a phone call from my, uh, uh, my peer in, in Amman, Jordan. He goes, aren't you guys in Gaza? <laughs> said we just left we just got out <laughs> we got out just in time he goes like he goes when i saw that i thought i knew you guys were there and you know i just you know thought the worst right so now we 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 got the word to get out Woo. so you just think though if someone gets a little trigger happy and and pulls the trigger on that on that missile a little sooner than right. than later um it, it wouldn't turn out so well but yeah I've i've been in situations where you know you're uh, on a particular assignment and yeah. had bullets flying and uh, all around you. Yeah. Uh, so uh, my protective vest and I became intimately familiar <laughs> right. with each other for for. And your job many, many is years. to protect the. I mean, you're going to take a bullet for somebody. Uh, in theory, yes. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> that's what they tell. That's me, what right? they tell me. Yeah. That's what they yeah. tell me. So, um, but again, uh, listen. Aside from that part, living amongst a different culture of people. Yeah. Learning how the world works, learning how the 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 our government's intelligence organ works, 
learned a lot about diplomacy and negotiation uh, and so many other things that I was involved with. It was pretty special. Yeah. And uh, I, I feel very blessed to have had um, that opportunity to, to do some things. You know, later on, I worked um, the intelligence community management staff where I did some, some uh, policy revisions on physical and personnel security standards and had the opportunity to brief some of the, um, the intelligence um, committees, you know, both the, the, the HIPSI and the SISI. Uh, on a number of issues on things that we we're doing overseas. And uh, then later, you know, again, being in Tel Aviv for a couple yeah. of years, working responsible for our, our um, personnel and, and facilities uh, in country there in both Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Uh, and then came back and had the, uh, probably the job I hated, I detested the most was to uh, adjudicate security clearances. So, you know, with that being a very hot topic in the yeah. news today, Essentially, I've got someone's future at uh, the tip of my pencil, uh, whether that person is a new applicant or that person was a person that had an existing clearance. And based on their investigation, you know, read the raw reports, you know, I decide whether this person would continue with um, uh, top secret clearance or, you know, if that clearance had to be revoked or suspended. Okay. Wow. Tough job. One that I didn't want to, I didn't like deciding people's futures. But uh, yeah. nonetheless, it, the work that I did there was was extremely important. And what I'll say is that the people that work in that environment, um, you know, are under a lot of stress in, in many instances. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they do tremendous work. So I, I, I applaud them, you know, because I saw some, some amazing things. And, and there are amazing people that work in our intelligence community. This is Brett Gilliland with Circuit of Success. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Circuit of Success. I'm Brett Gilliland, your host. Let's dive back into this week's guest. So you go from the NFL, you go to the CIA. Now you're back as the Assistant Athletic Director of Community Relations for your alma mater, Mm -hmm. University of Missouri. You're you're doing a radio show on KTRS. You're the voice of the the Mizzou football. So now you're in this life. We're, so we'll talk about Mizzou, but I want to make sure we talk about this uh, Show Me 1839. Talk about that. I saw the video today on YouTube. If, you, if you're listening right now, go to, go to YouTube, type in Show Me 1839, watch an amazing video. But let's talk about that for a second. If you look at uh, the University of Missouri, we joined the Southeastern Conference in 2012. Yep. It was our first season. And with that brought a, a lot of great excitement, but it also brought some challenges, you know, from, uh, you know, fundraising. If you look at the endowments of, of a lot of the schools that are in the SEC, I mean, they're huge. You know, right. Florida, Alabama, Texas A&M probably has the largest endowment. I don't know what theirs is, but uh, ours sits, you know, just over a billion dollars. Yep. Um, so we've got a long way to go to, to build that. Similarly, our donor base for Mizzou Athletics, um, we have an organization called the Tiger Scholarship Fund that supports our 550, 560 athletes. Uh, and we get those resources beyond what we get from uh, other sor- uh, sources of income. We get those through private donations. Yep. And we currently sit 13th out of 14th in the SEC. Um, Having that 
the broader amount of donors gives you the flexibility to do more. I mean, obviously, it's income uh, income driven. Yeah. What you can do uh, with X amount of dollars, you can do more. You have the flexibility yeah. to do more. And to put this in perspective, so the eighteen thirty nine is the year Mizzou was Mizzou, funded. Exactly funded. Founded. We're trying to fund it, but we're what's <laughs> the year you were founded? That's right. And, so, and again, perspective: seven thousand people. We are right about seven thousand donors, maybe okay. a little bit more. Our goal to get to eighteen thousand thirty nine. So we're eleven thousand short if you yeah. do the math. Our goal is to a fine donors to become Tiger Scholarship Fund yeah. uh, members. You know, in, in doing so, you get the ability to buy season tickets, and that's another thing we've got to be able to you know d- derive more revenue to support our student athletes. Yeah. Um, so we we are sitting at a very low spot. So. All it takes, if you're listening, all it takes is 50 bucks to join the Tiger Scholarship Fund. Uh, naturally, we, whether you can give 50 bucks or a million dollars, it doesn't matter. We, we need those donors. Right. And typically, if a person donates once, uh, they're going to donate again because you believe in those causes. Absolutely. And, um, and it, again, it, for perspective, Alabama is at 20,000. 20,000. And we're trying to get to 18039 Absolutely. So here's the deal. Uh, In the St. Louis area alone, we have 50 to 60,000 Mizzou alumni. We could do this in one day. Right, literally. Obviously, that's not possible, but this is, it's really a grassroots effort. You know, if I talk to you, Brett, and say, hey, you saw the video. This is what it means. You know, will you donate $50 or more to become a member? I'm in. You're in. <laughs> Brett, find me five more or, yep. or two more or ten more people like you that believe in what we're doing. Because yep. we're, we're on the verge of doing great things at the university. Uh, we have sort of reinvented ourselves over the last few years. And uh, I think sky's the limit for what we can do as a land-grant university, uh, the flagship institution in the state of Missouri. Yep. Uh, very proud traditions. I'm, I'm proud to say that I am in a alumnus of the University of Missouri, and I want others to feel that same kind of pride. So let's let's go through the lightning round. Well, I'm, uh, I'm making that up. I don't really have a lightning round, but <laughs> I, I want to talk about some things I normally talk about with people, and, and one of them is around fear. Um, so fear from failure, fear mm-hmm. from I'm going to get shot when I'm in the CIA, to all these fears, right, you've put in your mind probably over your lifetime. How many of the fears you put in there, in your mind, blew up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? I'd say probably several. Okay. Um, you've, let's just start with uh, in college. You know, knowing what is at stake. You know, you, you have a good college career. Right. And you know that because of what the scouts are telling you, you have the ability to, A, be a high-round draft pick. So the fear is if I don't work hard to position myself, then what I'm trying to achieve won't happen. Yeah. Uh, so you hear a lot of, uh, of college players that decide that if, if my team goes to a bowl game, I'm not going to play. I don't want to risk injury. I'm not going to work out of the combine. It was never an option for me. Right. We played in a bowl game after my senior year, played in the, in the Liberty Bowl. Uh, I then played in uh, the Hula Bowl, then played in the Senior Bowl. <laughs> Uh, and had all the workouts. Uh, the combines were a little different then, sure. not as much of a production as they are now. Uh, but the concept was still the same. 
And so I wanted to work because to me, the only goal was to be drafted yeah. in the first round. Yeah. And I made it. Yeah. But that was just one step. But if I can, so that fear never actually blew up, though, the magnitude well, you put in your mind. You're right. It, did, right? it didn't blow up, but, but it was always there. And that's and like the thing that my point work. to that question is we always have these fears that drive us. But what I'm and every every person we talk about this is they actually don't ever come true to the magnitude we put them in there to be. That, that's a dangerous spot up there, don't you think? No, I, I agree. I agree. But to me, here's the other thing: you can't let fear, uh, you can't let fear allow fear to keep you from trying. Absolutely. And so many people are afraid to take that leap of faith. Yep. They're afraid to do things because they're they're afraid to fail. I think Michael Jordan said it best, man. I have failed more times than I have succeeded. Right. You know, I was he's cut from his high school basketball team. Who was the knucklehead coach that cut right, him? Exactly. You know, right. How could you like, not? Uh, how could you not um, realize the guy's potential? Then, obviously, players develop at different yeah. uh, levels. But you, you, I mean, he he says it right there. You know, I mean, you think in baseball, uh, a batting average, if you can hit. Make three hits out of ten tries. Right. That's good. Yeah. In any other uh, sport or measurables, thirty percent is yeah. terrible. Imagine well, being you a, look a at Bryce pre- Harper's contract. You don't even have to bat three hundred anymore. To right, get a right, Ex- like exactly, that. exactly. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's all sports specific, but understanding yeah. what it takes to be successful uh, and those fears sort of drive you because you you don't want to. You don't want to disappoint yourself. And for me, that's what it was. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think what I'm trying to help people is is to understand the healthy dose of that fear is totally normal. It's totally fine. But learn to embrace it and apply it in a in a successful manner versus, you know, wanting to get in the you know, the corner in the fetal position over here and not do anything about it because I'm scared to go do something, right? We gotta we gotta let it go. We gotta go make it happen. You you absolutely whether you're talking about relationships you know, uh, uh, marriages, relationships, it takes work. Yep. You don't just jump in and, and, and expect things to go, uh, smoothly. Right. Um, I've never met a, a couple that has had it that way. Yeah. If so, they are, trust me, they're the exception. Right. Or they're lying. Uh, but it takes, yeah, or they're lying. That's right. <laughs> right. So how do you, on days you don't want to do it? Cause now you're bouncing around to meetings. You were, you know, kind of drive over here to O'Fallon. You're in the central West end earlier, you know, but there's days you don't want to get up and do it, yeah. but you got to go do it. So how do you bust through your comfort zone? How do you do it when you don't want to do it? You just do it. I mean, A, we all want to work. You know, I've got a daughter in college. I've got to be able to, to get yeah. her through the next couple right. of years. And uh, it, it, I guess it's it's fundamental, but still, I, I, I just have that will to, I think, still be the best at what I do. I still think that I have so much to contribute uh, in my lifetime. Even though you look at, you know, from numerical years, I should be winding down. I don't see myself doing that right, right. now. Uh, I, I still feel young. I still feel youthful. Um, just had a physical last week. Everything looks really good. Uh, you know, I, I even went through the whole um, uh, 23 and Me. Oh, uh, the yeah. Whole thing. Yeah, my wife did that. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I was a little afraid to open up the results, but there's nothing in my DNA that, that at least so indicates that I have everybody with the full it, version. Yeah. 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 No doubt. So there's nothing in there that, that indicates that I'm going to have any physical problems later on. Right. Not to say that you won't, but right, sure. Uh, I, I think I've been blessed uh, and had great tools. 
the foundation, the family, yep. the mentors, the numerous mentors, the people that you know believed in me. Um, that's what drives me. Yep. Again, not wanting to disappoint anyone, uh, but again, not wanting to dis- disappoint myself. Right. Wanting to be a great role model for my daughter. Those are the things that that make me want to continue yep. uh, and to to add value to. Not just her life, but also to any young person that comes to me for advice, yep. uh, just to be able to contribute and, uh, you know, be uh, sort of a beacon of, of light and hope for them. Yep. Well, you're doing a darn good job of that. So but what would you what feedback would you give the, the 40 year old Howard Richards? What, what 20 years ago? What, what feedback would you give that young man? Be persistent, be deliberate in everything you do. Um, don't take situations for granted. Um, and I, I don't think that I did. I, you know, there were situations I, where maybe I would have done something a little bit different. Yeah. I probably would have been more deliberate in you know, trying to pursue uh, an advanced degree at the time. Um, because you never want to look back with regret. I kind of wish I had. I, I've, I've started a couple programs and through a number of uh, extenuating circumstances had to you know stop those programs but it's still a goal of mine yep. even at you know whether I'm doing it at 60 or 65 whatever I, I plan to do it and, awesome. and I hope that um, I, I have the the will and determination and the wherewithal to be able to do so I like it so what are your passions now what do you wish you had more time to do and uh, what, are, what are some of your callings today man I, I want to be able to be good at golf no 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 <laughs> I want to be able to be average at golf. Yeah, you just want to go, not look like, yeah. I, I want to be able to hit the ball straight consistently. Right. You know, uh, to me, the most humbling thing I've ever tried to do is hit a golf ball with consistency. Yeah. Um, so I have a lot of respect for um, guys that can do it, even just ordinary guys. You know, guys that are 70, 80 years old right. that, are, that are outplaying me. I hate that. I got to, so I've got to figure out that my own body mechanics to be able to do it. But again, it's devoting that time. Yep. You know, you don't become decent at golf no. without spending a lot of time out there hitting golf balls. That's right. That's right. So, well, man, it's been awesome being with you today. And, uh, thanks, where Brett. do our listeners one, where do they find more of you? And then number two, uh, where do they find more about this 1839 fund? Well, you can find more of me. I, uh, during the football season, um, you can hear me on, uh, certainly Sunday mornings um, with Brennan Weezy to sort of recap Saturday's games. Yep. Uh, you'll hear me Friday mornings on McGraw-Millhaven's show. Uh, do a segment there to talk about the, the preview to Saturday's game. I also record during the week uh, during KTRS's uh, big sports show preview, uh, previewing the game and more in depth. Um, so you can hear me there. And then from time to time, you know, I'm always doing some things uh, you know, on radio with them. Um, if you want to know more about, and you need to know more about um, Show Me 18,039 or 1839 for short, go to tsfmizzou.com. That's TSF stands for Tiger Scholarship Fund, uh, mizzou.com. So tsfmizzou.com. There's videos up there that show you um, exactly what you need to do, you know, why it's important. Uh, and we hope it works. We hope we can get more donors to, to believe in us and, and help support 
um, our student athletes. Awesome. Well, it's been great having you. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Brett. Appreciate it. We will uh, definitely send more people your way to follow all the stuff you're doing and what a great life and appreciate you sharing all your stuff with us on the Circuit of Success. Awesome. Thank you. uh, We look forward to being back with you next week with another great guest on the Circuit of Success. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 